welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French, and this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a sustained weight loss and self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are now certified integrative nutrition health coaches, and together with our community, we are learning to live our best lives by telling one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them and sharing personal stories of real people, we aim to destigmatize the process. Join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. Amber Romaniak is an emotional eating, digestive, and hormone expert who helps professional women achieve optimal health through mindful eating, self-care, and overcoming self-sabotage with food. Her podcast, The No Sugar Coating Podcast, has over half a million downloads, and she has appeared on Canadian television 50 times in the last three years. Amber overcame her own emotional eating after gaining and losing more than 1,000 pounds, spending over $50,000 on binge foods and spending five years balancing her hormones and digestion. Now she helps others achieve body freedom so they have the confidence and health to create amazing lives. On this episode, she shares her journey, tips and techniques with us that have been beneficial both to her and her clients and so much more. Enjoy the episode. This episode is sponsored by Milk and Honey. Guys, I am so excited to share our new sponsor, Milk and Honey, with you because I have been using their baking soda-free deodorant exclusively for over two years. This gentle, aluminum-free, baking soda-free deodorant was designed to nourish sensitive skin while keeping you feeling and smelling fresh all day long. When I decided that I wanted to make the switch to a clean, aluminum-free deodorant, I tried so many different brands, and each and every time I was plagued with those red, itchy bumps under my arm, on top of not feeling confident whatsoever that I did not smell. Milk and Honey not only never once gave me those pesky little red bumps, but also passed the smell test, even after some of LA's toughest workout classes. This is my ride or die deodorant, and we are so excited to partner with them. Milk and Honey is a line of non-toxic, effective, and safe bath, body, and skincare products made in small batches in Austin, Texas. They source ingredients as hyper-clean as possible, which means both choosing organic and making thoughtful, informed choices on safe ingredients. Milk and Honey is a female-founded and funded brand, and in addition to clean deodorant, they also carry non-toxic bath, body, and skincare products like hydration creams, cleansers, soaps, body polish, and lots more that will make you feel nourished inside and out. If you want to try Milk and Honey, you can receive 15% off your order by visiting milkandhoney.com and using the code CWPODCAST, one word, at checkout. You can also find the direct link in our show notes. This episode is brought to you by Ned. If you've listened to this podcast, you know I struggle with anxiety that can often lead to disruption in my sleep. When I first learned about CBD being a natural and powerful solution to anxiety, sleep disorders, muscle pain, headaches, and so much more, I became very passionate about finding the best source to put in my body. Enter Ned. 
Ned is a wellness brand offering science-backed and nature-based solutions that offer holistic alternatives to prescription and over-the-counter medicine. They only grow the highest quality full-spectrum CBD extracted from organically grown hemp plants and sourced from an independent farm in Colorado. I love that I can trust their transparent sourcing and that they always offer the cleanest product. I have now been taking the Ned Full Spectrum Hemp Oil 750 milligram tincture twice daily and have truly noticed a massive shift in my overall mood and anxiety levels. While I don't often struggle with anxiety, I regularly use and love Ned's natural cycle collections of salves, tinctures, and roll-ons to support hormone balance and ease period symptoms. These products source 100% organic and wild-crafted botanicals and are slow-crafted from seed to bottle by a group of extraordinary women. All Ned products are also non-psychotropic. If you want to check out Ned and try their CBD for yourself, we have a special offer for the Courageous Wellness audience. Go to www.helloned.com forward slash CW podcast. That is H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash CW podcast to get 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Thank you, Ned. We know that you're going to love these products. So you can also find the direct link in our show notes. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Amber. Oh, thank you so much for both of you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. We're excited to chat with you. Um, to start out, can you tell us and our listeners a little bit about your personal journey um, in, in wellness? What is your wellness journey and what does that mean to you? Yeah, so it's, it's been quite the journey to say the least. Um, and it really all started for me from a very young age unknowingly, um, you know, I really struggled with my, you know, body image, lack of self-love, always wanted to be thinner. Um, and really the first point where that hit me hard was I was five years old and it was my first day taking the bus. We had just moved out to the country and I was like so excited and scared and just like envisioned five-year-old me with a mushroom cut, like pumped to get on the bus and like make new friends. And so I'm getting on the bus and then as soon as I see, you know, like, especially the back half, I just hear, look at her. She's fat. She's ugly. And then the back half of the bus just started to like make fun of me and laugh. And I just sunk inside. It hurts so much to hear that. And I thought, well, it must be true if strangers are saying this about me. So I really believed them. And I took that on as my identity and I didn't know how to just, you know, brush it off or go, oh, whatever. Like, I was just not taught how to ever, you know, be prepared to deal with a situation like that. And so, you know, growing up, I really was shy, especially didn't want to be friends with boys for fear that I'd get hurt again by them. Um, and definitely always felt like food was a friend, A, because it never called me names, it tasted good and it made me feel good. And B, um, I think that it's something that my mom used to help compensate in our relationship because she had multiple sclerosis even before I was born. And so there's a lot of things that she and I couldn't do together that just seemed like everyday normal things like going to the mall for a day of shopping because she'd get too tired or like, you know, um, going out in the yard and even just like spending time being active. Like it, it's just, you know, I think for her, there was a lot of guilt there. And so she and I would always eat together and she'd get us whatever she wanted. Um, and so I think those things kind of, just put me in a place where I thought, well, you know, 
I guess I'm always going to kind of struggle with my weight because of, you know, hearing what other people have to say about it. And my mom struggles with her weight and we eat together. So maybe I'll just be like her. It's just that assumption, like that gene assumption. I'm going to be more like my mom's side of the family and dieted all through my teens. And really when everything got super intense was I was about 21, just went through a a pretty bad breakup. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to like get my perfect body. Now I'm going to lose all the weight. Finally hit that goal. Um, and I really heavily restricted and I exercised two hours a day and I reached it quite quickly. Um, but I didn't feel happy. I didn't feel any better. Um, I was obsessing now about food in my workouts and I was actually nitpicking my body even more. Like I wanted to, you know, push the envelope more and be like, Oh, maybe I can lose like two more pounds. And Oh, can I like, maybe I'll have a thigh gap and like get rid of a little bit more of that stuff off my arms. And like, just was so deeply frustrated because even though I was at this weight, like I still had some, you know, abdominal fat and I was so frustrated about it. So it was just like, it made me more obsessive and almost arrogant and so superficial. And it's then like one day I realized this is so hard to maintain. I'm not happy. The relationship didn't work, even though I look quote unquote perfect now. So screw it all. And then it's just like, I went to food and I went hard to food. So it was like, not just, you know, eating a cupcake here, there would be like, I'd go to the bakery and buy like six full cupcakes and eat them and then go and get like a foot long sub and then go to the store and buy like boxes of cereal and bagels and baked goods and chocolate and chips and like full out binge, like thousands upon thousands of calories, like multiple nights a week. And so and only I'd say like four, four or five months, I gained, you know, 60 pounds and like now is at my heaviest. And that was a hard hit, especially after, you know, getting to that other point. And um, then I just honestly started to hide at home. I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to be social. I didn't want my friends to see me. And something, it was like a wake up call before the big wake up call. A friend of mine, we he had seen me when I was you know, had lost the weight and then I gained the weight and I didn't want him to see me, even though it was like, it wouldn't have mattered. And, um, you know, I was like, Oh, I don't want him to see me. He's going to notice that I've gained weight and I just don't want to be judged by a guy. And you know, what ended up happening there is we finally made plans to get together and then he got killed in a car accident. He died three weeks before we were supposed to get together. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I, because of a number on the scale, like didn't get a chance to see this person again. And I had so many opportunities to like spend time with them. Right. And now it's like, I can't ever again. And so there was that scenario that was really hard to, to realize that I, you know, had allowed myself to get to this point of such limitation in my life. Um, And the second thing was really, you know, after a period of binging really, you know, intensively over, I'd say about a year, um, I went through a period of about six months where I binged and purged, but was able to get myself out of that because it really scared me to think of what, what would happen. Like if I could have a heart attack at like 22 or like just serious health issues that I could create if I kept doing it. Um, and also that I wasn't taking responsibility by doing that. And I really wanted to, to get to that point. So, you know, when I was sitting on the floor after a binge, thinking about how scared I was for my life and my health. Like if I keep doing this, like, I don't know if I'm going to make 30. I don't know if I'll make 25. Like it, it was so severe for me. And I felt so physically unwell and emotionally 
that um, it just really started to hit hard and make me feel really emotional, but I just didn't know how to change it, which was the biggest hurdle. And so I had thrown all the food away in the garbage and I always did that every time after a binge so that I wouldn't go back and eat it. But on this particular night, after about an hour of my food settling, I was like, oh, I could go for a cookie. Like if I'm really going to end this, like I'm going to just, you know, finish it off. And so I went into my kitchen and I dug through the garbage and I ate, you know, the cookies. And then I just sat on the floor and cried and thought, I need to change this. Like I feel so embarrassed and alone and disempowered. I have no idea how to, you know, change it again. Like my health is in crisis. Why is this happening? This isn't meant to be my life. And that's what really, really made me wake up and go, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I just felt so deeply called to, to get on a path and just start figuring it out. Um, and so that was really like those kind of key moments that helped me to go, I don't know how I'm going to change this, but I can't let fear block me. Like the fear of the unknown of knowing what's going to happen and if I'm going to fail or, you know, have the progress and and the healing happen. It's just like, no, I've got to try something. So I started to really learn about food because sugar for me was a huge nemesis at the time. And then like baked goods and dairy, like it's, it's like I would eat a piece of cheese and then eat the whole thing. Like it just felt there's certain foods I really lost control with really easily. Um, and so learning that, you know, refined sugar is 10 times more addictive, you know, than cocaine or like that the casein protein in dairy can actually, for some people excite, you know, the same parts of the brain as a hard drug and same with gluten. It started to fascinate me because I thought, there's nothing wrong with me. It's just that like, I don't know how to deal with this. And and certain foods are like designed for us to lose control and like spend money on them. So the company will make a lot of money and nobody tells you this. And so it started to make me hungry to learn the knowledge. And then I started to, you know, cook differently. And I went gluten and dairy and refined sugar-free after dozens of attempts, took a lot of attempts because you know, it was hard to break free from those foods. And then, you know, I really started to realize it was an emotional journey as well more importantly than the physical when I still wanted to binge on like 10 bananas and, you know, a jar of almond butter, or like eat a whole massive bag of cashews and then just feel horrible after. And that's when I realized, you know, yes, there's physical aspects of this and, and eating better and, and, you know, having variety of food is important and ditching diets is important. However, I'm still obsessed with my weight and, you know, my self-worth is tied to the scale. I don't know how to feel my emotions. I don't know how to deal with stress. And so that really helped me to embark on the deeper emotional part of the journey, which was really around starting to figure out and understand what was triggering me to emotionally eat, Mm -hmm. you know, starting to experiment with different kinds of self-care like meditation, deep breathing, journaling, EFT tapping, you know, um, starting to realize that maybe some of the friends I was hanging out with weren't the healthiest relationships and, and were enabling some of the, you know, food stuff that was going on. And, you know, also realizing I have no idea what self-love is, but I really want to get there. And so that, you know, really evolved that part of the journey. And I started to binge less and and that awareness around my triggers. And it's so interesting because the list of triggers that I give to my clients to this day is the list that I first made, like, you know, 10 years ago when I was trying to figure it out on my own. And um, it really helped me build confidence and made me excited when I could go to my list and like identify my trigger and then use self-care to help me break this old, deep, 
you know, heavy habit and, and create a new habit that just felt so good. And, and as I did all of that, it was like the equation of the nourishment and quitting exercise that was punishment and catching the negative self-talk and just sitting and going, it's okay if I feel worry or fear or any emotion right now, the world is not going to end. If I just sit and feel it, I don't need to shove it down with food. And so learning how to cope with stress and, and all these different pieces that's to me what accumulated to self-love and filling that void that I was trying to fill with food. And that's really then what it, it, you know, got me thinking like, if I struggled with this the way that I did, how many other people, especially women are struggling with this or have struggled with this and have not had the guidance. And that really is what inspired me to start my business niche in emotional eating and digestive issues and hormone issues, because I pretty much healed all that on my own after I stopped the binge eating as well. And, you know, it just, I never imagined that that experience would bring me to where I am today and that I'd have the gift and opportunity to now like support other women like wholeheartedly through that whole process to freedom for themselves because it's, it's so life changing. And so that's my wellness story. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I think, you know, sharing those vulnerable aspects of, you know, what we go through in, in our health journeys and health in a holistic sense, right? Not just physical, but all the things that go along with it, you know, your, your mental, your emotional, I think it's important to share them. That's why we do this. That's why we, we share, you know, stories on courageous wellness because it reminds other people that when they might feel so alone, like at that moment that you were talking about, that actually it's, it is maybe perhaps a normal part of the human experience and maybe it manifests differently for different people, yeah. but that it is something that, that we all go through in our own way. Um, yeah. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Yeah. You know, as you were talking to it, it reminded me of something because I can relate to so many aspects of your, your journey, um, different, but I have a 50 pound weight loss journey myself and I am an emotional eater. Oh, cheese. Cheese is, it's like better than dessert. Like when people are like, I, <laughs> I just want cheese. Like, Fair and enough. it is a total emotional experience. Um, but it's it's interesting because as you were talking, I thought of, um, you know, I don't have such an extreme example as you do of losing a friend, but I, I there are relationships that are no longer in my life because um, when I started really gaining the weight in my early 20s, I did stop talking to friends from like high school specifically Mm -hmm. because I didn't want them to see me right at my larger size. And I, you know, we just aren't friends today the way we were. And it really does come. It was so interesting. I forgot that I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I did that, you know? So it also reminded me when you were talking because I think, you know, we're all in wellness And so we, you know, I think I'm sure all of us curate our Instagrams to be very like positive and inspirational, but it had me thinking when you were talking about how you binged and, you know, had this, these experiences, so many of my friends who have gone through weight loss journeys, you know, they did it through so much restriction, Mm -hmm. you know, like they, they just honestly wouldn't eat, you know, if they lost weight, um, whether it was a lot or a little. And I don't know why, but just as you were talking, I was like, I wonder how many people are still there because, um, you know, again, it's hard when 
I do curate my Instagram to be pretty positive and so many people in our wellness community are so positive, but I don't know. Sorry. It's like a tangent, but it just had me thinking of we're having this conversation, right? And we're at, Mm. you know, the end of it, but there are people, right? Where this concept of like emotional eating triggers and this, it's like, you know, so can you talk us through, like you said, maybe you can walk us through like, what are those lists of triggers? Mm -hmm. And do you think we all need to individually have like our own sort of rock bottom to be able to start Mm -hmm. identifying it? Or is there a better, easier way? (laughs) Great questions. And actually to talk to your curiosity of how many women are still kind of in that space, it's about, um, I've read some stats and it's about 85% of the female population um, that diets and then, you know, loses the weight and then gains it back and then some, and so fails on the diet and about 90% of the North America female population is, or has struggled with some form of dieting or eating disorder behavior. So it's pretty significant. Um, but yeah, so I don't think we need to hit rock bottom. I think it's different for everybody. I think what it really comes down to is, are you willing to acknowledge what's going on? Or are you in denial? Um, also this was a big one for me and I can't exactly remember how the quote goes, but it was something like, you know, when the fear or when the suffering is bigger than the fear to want to change, you know, you'll, you'll stay suffering because you're too afraid to go into the unknown and see what that could potentially look like. So you'll stay with the familiarity of the diets and the exercise, you know, extreme exercise. And like, that's your comfort zone, even though it's not working for you and you're so frustrated it's still familiar, right? Versus when the suffering now is like, or the fear rather is like, you're ready to just kick the fear out of the way because you're just suffering so deeply and you can't take it anymore. You know? So it really depends for people like with their their level of awareness of like, do I want to keep going down the same rabbit hole and stay on the same hamster wheel? Or am I ready to, to make these changes? And I think we, a lot of people don't even realize they're doing it. So for some, they need to hit that rock bottom to really go, okay, this does not work. I've tried quote unquote, everything, AKA diets and, you know, quick fixes. But I always say like, have you, have you tried the true whole, like holistic approach where we're dealing with your mindset, your emotions, you know, your physical state of health, your behaviors, your schedule, and also for those who are open, that spiritual aspect and hundred percent of them always say no, right? Because we're so conditioned that it's, you eat less and exercise more, which I think couldn't be more archaic or incorrect. Yeah. Um, but since we have like a multi-trillion dollar diet and fitness industry, of course, they're going to keep pushing that triggers. So I'll share some of the most common ones that I find, you know, my clients struggling with, and then some unique ones, because everyone has some unique triggers, like each of their individual. Um, so some of the most common ones that I see women struggling with are overwhelm, like fear, like some form of negative emotions. Again, just fearing sitting and feeling those emotions and not knowing how to feel them. Um, overbook schedules. That is a huge one. And I know, you know, for some people that's very relevant right now and some it isn't. And so for the opposite, it's like having so much time on your hands, you don't know what to do with yourself. And all of a sudden it's really uncomfortable because you're having to face your stuff, right? Some people overbook themselves so much to distract them from having to feel address or deal with their own stuff, right? Um, dehydration poor sleep, 
um, adrenal fatigue and cortisol imbalances, which is the stress hormone. And I find that that one will fuel salt or sugar carb cravings. Um, and then I often will see gut flora imbalance, um, fueling sugar cravings and carb cravings. So we see digestive imbalances. Um, also with some food sensitivities, um, it's called a cerebral allergy and you actually crave your food sensitivity. So the dairy, yep, that was me, the gluten, the cashews. Like I literally started to get a high when I ate nuts because I ate so many of them when I was binging that it created that, um, you know, serotonin dopamine response in my brain because I was also sensitive to them. But once I was able to stop the binging and then have them mindfully, that response when way, but you can crave your food sensitivities. Um, I often also find, you know, body image weights, you know, when people are really sensitive to their weight and their worth is really tied up in that. Um, if they hop on the scale and don't see a number that they want to see and they're going, ah, oh, but I've stuck to my diet and I worked out so hard this week and I, it went up two pounds or it didn't move like that quick fix mentality, then that can trigger the emotional eating as well. Um, and then a, a couple other ones are like, associating certain habits with eating. So some people like sit down and watch TV and they just right away, it's like bag of chips, candy, or like, I'm going to just eat and watch TV. And it's so mindless that they end up losing control and don't even realize it. And another one is certain refined foods or certain foods for people are a trigger themselves. So say someone ends up, you know, indulging in like some cake or chips or just depending on what their thing is, um, that could emphasize their cravings and make their cravings more intensive. And then now they're wanting to go and eat a lot of it because they've just built up their cravings or they've triggered what is that kind of like screw it mentality, that all or nothing mentality where they're like, I've already had some, so what's the point? I've messed up my diet for the day. So I'm just going to, you know, go all out and eat whatever I want. I want to share one trigger that I've found really fascinating with a client because I think it just goes to show you that the individuality as well um, in that um, one of my clients, she really um, has been a massive people pleaser with her daughter and, and therefore has set no boundaries with, you know, if she has friends over or her, you know, significant other over and they've been staying a lot and it's been triggering her to, to binge a lot and, and to get really overwhelmed because she thought that, you know, allowing her daughter this full freedom would make her daughter love her more and that she would just feel more validated and, and better, but instead it's doing the opposite. And so I've been supporting her over the last like five or six months to work up the courage to set a healthy boundary with her daughter that like, you know, we can have people over one weekend a month, but that's it. Otherwise, you know, I need the space to take care of myself and tend to my mind and body. And like that's six months. And some people go, well, you know, why does that even make sense? But people have to understand that when we have limiting beliefs and, and we don't feel good enough, and then we want to people please and make sure other people are happy at our own, you know, expense of our own physical, mental, and emotional health and well-being, it has a significant impact. And if something like that is then triggering you to emotionally eat or binge because you're so angry with yourself for setting up that dynamic and then also, you know, not being able to be comfortable in your own home, like of course, that's going to trigger you to go to, to comfort eating for some form. So that that's a unique trigger that we finally she's broken through and she has her freedom and she's just feeling so good about, you know, taking that stand for herself. So some of them can go really in depth and then some of them are, you know, things like you need to drink more water, right? Yeah, that's it's so interesting. I mean, I think this is an important conversation for everybody to hear, not just people who've had like 
what you would sort of say is like a diagnosable disordered eating behavior or whatever that means. Cause I'm actually like listening and really reflecting. I've never struggled, um, with, I would say like in a massive way with my weight, I've never been underweight. I've never been super overweight. I've always sort of had this like curvy body. Like Mm -hmm. I've always been very sort of healthy in that sense. But, um, I think, you know, you sharing your own story, all of a sudden I'm reflecting, oh, I remember when I was called fat in the third grade by Mm -hmm. like my friend's older sister. I remember like even someone who hasn't dealt in an extreme way with um, body image. I mean, even I have all of that stuff still. Right. And like, I could see that it's such a slippery slope. Like, and I feel like constantly living in this, um, keeping myself in check because I know how easy it could be to go there because we are constantly bombarded. Like you said, it's, Mm -hmm. we're not set up in a system to love ourselves accept ourselves as we are, that we're, you know, that we're fine as we are, that we're more than enough, that we're, it's like, there's something like the idea, we're always being sold the idea that there's something else to fix. And especially women, I think. And, um, it's really interesting. I'm like, wow, I think everybody, no matter how extreme Mm -hmm. your journey is, whether you've lost and gained thousands of pounds or if it's subtle and it's like, to me, it's like, wow, you know, even in this you know, we've all been spending a period of time, um, more at home time, right. Through the last so many months. And mm-hmm. it's something that's interesting, even though I'm like, oh yeah, I've, I've dealt with a bunch of health stuff and that's really like transformed my body image in how I really like take care of myself. But things that I wouldn't necessarily think are triggers. Cause I don't, I'm like, oh, I don't really have to deal with like emotional eating Mm-hmm. It's still there. It's still yeah. even in the most subtle of ways as human beings, we all have it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, hearing a hearing this kind of conversation, regardless of whether you've had a massive, um, you know, journey in this space or not, I think that like if any human sits and listens and reflects, wow, what is my what are my triggers? What, what do I, and am I conscious of it when I go and like mm-hmm. developing that? Cause it's like, we always have space to, to develop that sort of skill a little bit more for ourselves. Oh yeah. I agree. And yeah. what's so fascinating when people become aware, and this is something that I also learned too, and that I see my clients learn is that when they start to understand their triggers, there's also sub triggers. So you could have a day where there's like a main trigger, like say you're tired and you just know that when you're tired, it sets the stage for like potentially more poor food choices. You're a bit more irritable and like you, that's when you spill stuff like, I, you know, um, but then as your day goes on, you realize that because you're feeling a bit more mindless, you're like, Oh, I just going to drink more coffee today. So then you're dehydrating yourself, right? Because you're not on your water. And then, you know, maybe you have a negative interaction with your coworker and then there's another one sneaking in there. And then, you know, you get home and you realize that, Oh my gosh, like I totally didn't have anything ready for dinner. And so then you're like, whatever, I'm just going to order in because I'm so tired. And so now not only have you had that one trigger to set your stage for the day, you've got all these other little triggers that have shown up and it just can make it so much easier for you to fall off. And that's my clients say, well, what even happened? And then we talk about it and then they start to dissect it and go, oh my goodness, like there is more at play here. So I find what ends up happening, like you said, like 
we all have had some experience with the body image or food or whatever it is. And it's because we all have an ego. We have the self-sabotaging mindset and it's, it runs society big time. And unless you're aware of it and you know how to start to navigate it and take your power back, it runs you. And so the more people can build awareness, you know, regardless of how little or big your struggle has been, it just really helps you to know that it's, it's not running you and that you have the power to like learn about it and grow and, and move forward. I just think that there's so much power in that because once I figured out I had this part of me that was like fueling all this and I could manage it and learn how to most of the time stay in my power, it changed everything, right? It, it really does. Yeah. No, I think the awareness is so unbelievably key and it mm-hmm. really is. It doesn't mean everything's going to like poof, go away, Yeah, but it's the start of it really deeply changing. And I know for myself, um, that's been monumental in transforming my emotional eating habits, you know, and, and when they still happen, um, you know, very rarely, (laughs) but they still happen. Um, the awareness allows me not to go to the negative space and just be like, well, this happened. And (laughs) we're okay with that because I also have an awareness and a trust that this doesn't happen on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. you know, and I can give myself that kindness and grace of maybe my body needed five extra scoops of nut butter, Mm -hmm. you know, to self-soothe or whatever it is. Right. And then I'm able to move forward instead of what I used to do, which I think a lot of people do is, well, I had a really bad food night, so I'm going to have a really bad food week or, you know, it it continues. But I think, you know, you also mentioned something earlier that I think has been, is really interesting. And I think a lot of people in weight loss journeys or self-love journeys go through where you said like, when I got down to this small size, right. Or this, Mm -hmm this smaller size, um, I started being even more nitpicky, right? Cause my arms or my belly, it still wasn't what I wanted it to be or perceived it should be. And I think that's a really interesting conversation because all bodies are different. So yeah. a big part for me too, in self-acceptance has been realizing like, I'm not supposed to be a size zero, like mm-hmm. healthy, happy Erica is a size eight, maybe sometimes yeah. a size 10. And that took a lot of um, work because media and images want you to feel like, well, a zero or a two or a four or whatever, the smaller you are, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. X, Y, Z. So how did you get there with yourself, right? Of being like, maybe this isn't what my body is meant for, right? Like not all of us we're not one size fits all. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I'm so glad that you bring that up because yeah, I was so brainwashed by like all these Photoshop pictures and magazines that I, and I didn't realize it was Photoshop. Like I didn't even know that existed. And then now you have the, you know, worldwide web and social media and Instagram, like there's so much Photoshopping and altering that. Like, it's just how, if you don't know what to look for, how could you ever know? Right. Um, so I think, one of the things that really hit for me was my period disappeared and I wasn't getting my cycle. And I thought, okay, like I didn't know a lot about health at that time, but I just knew I'm like, this isn't probably a good thing. If, if my cycle's going away and I'm starting to get more fatigued and, you know, 
I'm, I'm still really bloated, even though, you know, I'm, I'm in this body. And then for me, when I, it's actually ironic because I actually realized that I was never meant to be that smaller weight when I was actually my biggest. And so I'd actually finished binge eating. I, I finished with that. I completed with it, but my hormones were so out of whack and my body was so inflamed um, that when I started my business, I went into this go, go, go mentality of like, I've got to work pretty much 24 seven to get ahead so that I can really help people and, you know, make money and, and, you know, do this thing. And so the first few months of my business, I was going so hard and still had this limiting belief. Like I have to exercise to, you know, maintain weight and or lose weight. And the irony was, is I went from somewhere where I am now just based off the way I'm close fit. And I gained like 40 pounds and was back up to like the heaviest that I was when I was binge eating. And it was like, it shocked me and I couldn't believe it because I'm like, I'm not binging. I'm eating well, I'm exercising and I'm getting pretty decent sleep. Why now am I hanging on to all this protection again? But I needed to go through that because number one, it really helped me to look back and go, okay, well, when I was at that like thinner weight, like that was so not realistic if I had to, you know, restrict to that level and exercise to that level to attain that, like that high level of perfection that just doesn't exist. Like I'm human. I, it's just not possible. And that detriment to my hormones. And then now seeing myself on the other side going, I'm not binging anymore. I thought that's the only reason I would gain weight, you know, and, and understanding that my hormone picture was having a significant impact and the sphere that I still have of, if I quit exercise, like I'm probably going to go even more. So for me, it was like a day where I was, I had just such a fantastic day. I had a great event that I had just held. There was a lot of good things going on in my business. And I just looked at myself in the mirror and I said, I love and accept you exactly as you are. You have such a beautiful soul. You're offering so many amazing things to the world. If this is where body, if this is where you need to be right now, I'm so here for you. I put you through a lot and you know, I'm I'm on forgiveness and apologizing to for you for that. And we got some work to on my hormones. So screw the gym. I'm going to quit the gym. What do I have to lose at this point? I really needed to challenge that belief as well. And once I did that and really focused on like balancing my hormones and just resting and lots of self care and like really letting go and, and balancing my schedule. It's like, I had this deep innate knowing that my body set point would take me to where it was normal for me without any of that other stuff. And then that happened. And, and I've essentially pretty much maintained, not that I really weigh in, but just like by my clothes, like I've, I'm, I maintain kind of the same size now for the last, you know, six, seven years, which is like the first time in my whole life that I have ever had the same sizes of clothing in my closet, which feels so good. Um, but it's, it was like going from that smaller extreme to that larger extreme that made me realize I would never be that size again, that this just, it's not healthy. It's not attainable. Um, it's too restrictive. And it just, there's just something about it that I had such a negative association with it that I'm just like, I never want to go back to that again. And then going through that experience where I could learn how to fully love and accept myself, you know, at that, you know, higher weight that it had nothing to do with the weight. It was about me finally fulfilling that part of me. Mm. So I know I've kind of gone off on a bit more of a tangent, but that was just, I so needed that to happen, you know, like I really did. Um, And then it really helped me to be able to guide my clients and say, well, if your hormones are off, they're going to dictate a huge part of your body's ability to hang on to protection, let go of protection. I mean, there's other pieces, but that piece is so 
so important for us to, to help us get to that natural set point if stuff is off. Can we talk a little bit about that for anybody who doesn't know? We, we've covered this a little bit um, with other, you know, hormone experts and stuff, but I think this is an important thing that a lot of people don't know. And I've mm-hmm. only in the last year and a half, two years of my own studies and research really started to come to understand this. Also in my own sort of experimentation with my physical movement. Can you talk a little bit about exercise and hormones? Because Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we think like the old mentality of like, you know, calories in, calories out, burn more than you consume, that kind of thing. And um, I, I want you to just speak a little bit to what can happen with really sort of like high intensity Mm-hmm. exercise if you have hormonal imbalances. Yeah. And thank you for bringing that up because it's, it's so common. And the, there's kind of like a picture that I see with almost everyone that I work with that I had as well. So essentially when you're in, when you're driven by the sphere of losing control with your body or having those insecurities with your body, right. And then you throw in the diet, emotional eating piece that already has a very you know, intensive negative impact potentially on the hormones, because if you're binging and then restricting and you're really fighting with your body and stressing, you're producing a lot of cortisol, which is your stress hormone. And I often see women with very high cortisol and then some with really low because they've been high and then now they're going into burnout mode where their adrenal glands are just so taxed and tired and they're so exhausted. And then you throw in there intensive exercise, lots of cardio, hit training and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so then that's elevating cortisol even more. And for a lot of women, they're working out in the morning and naturally your cortisol, of course, is the highest in the morning. And then you boost it way up because you're also exercising. And and that, that's what was happening for me as I was working out in the morning and my cortisol was like 10 times higher than it was supposed to be. And I'm just like, how am I even still alive really, you know, when I saw those numbers. And so that's usually what I see happen first. So the cortisol goes up and then from there, it's often been elevated for people for a very long time, however, because they're not getting tested and they have no, no idea what's going on. At some point or another, the adrenal glands, which produce your cortisol, they get tired, they get taxed. And so then your body's starting to go, well, I've got to keep you know, producing this high level of cortisol to keep this person functioning. So now I'm going to go and steal other hormones to convert into cortisol to keep this person going. Um, and so what I see is then either... First of all, it will steal, you know, the the body will steal thyroid hormones and convert them into cortisol. And then, you know, I see this, you know, so many women who have underactive thyroids and, you know, first signs of potentially like Hashimoto's or, you know, that they're just struggling to lose weight. And they're like, yeah, my doctor says my thyroid's a bit off, but that I'll, you know, I'll just keep dealing with it. And, you know, by the time I look at their numbers, I'm going like, even though this is in the normal range, you are having symptoms and it's having an impact. My range is super small and it definitely, you know, I can tell when women's cortisol is then impacting their thyroid. And of course your thyroid is your metabolism. It's a huge part of your abilities to let go of protection as well. And then the other thing I start to see is the body starts to seal progesterone to convert into cortisol. And then we see low progesterone, women having, you know, irregular cycles, they can't get pregnant. And the thing with progesterone, because this all happened to me too, is when you're your estrogen and progesterone like to be on kind of an equal, like on a seesaw together balance. When your progesterone starts to drop, your estrogen has no choice but to dominate and increase. And then you end up with too high levels of estrogen, um, all this excess estrogen in your fat cells, 
you know, increase toxicity in the body. And it pretty much makes it next to impossible to lose weight. And that's actually what happened to my hormone health after I'd quit the binging and then had put that weight back on was all that stuff had happened. Um, and so the exercise, whilst you think it's doing something good for you and that you're moving your body to be healthy, if you have hormone imbalances and, and a picture like that, or a picture that moves in that direction, all of a sudden the exercise is not serving you. It's not healthy. It's actually hurting your body. It's harmful at this point. It's just throwing your body more out of whack. And the more out of whack your hormones get, that can have a significant impact on your gut health and make you more bloated and more sensitive to food and impact your immunity and, you know, all of these other things. So I think it's so important that we stop doing exercise that we think we should do because we see an influencer doing it or because we need to go hard or go home and that we actually learn how to listen to our bodies and get to know our bodies and what works for us based on our hormone picture. And as that changes, that we again still choose things that we love instead of the forceful, like, I hate that I have to go do this, but it's the only way that I can like attain my results. Thank you. I think that actually paints a really great picture because I I don't know that, you know, most people don't know that, right? Like it's not intuitive in that sense. And, um, and I think it can be really empowering to understand that information, right? Because then what happens if you don't have that information and you're in that place and you're pushing yourself Mm -hmm. with this sort of high intensity exercise and maybe you start to like blame yourself like, oh, I'm not going hard enough. I'm not doing enough because I'm not seeing the results I want. But in fact, you're really actually working against your body's natural sort of regulatory systems. And, um, and that can be also like another vicious cycle that you just, just with a little bit of information can really be transformative Mm -hmm. and really like tap into gentler. I know for my, myself, you know, I was a, I am a performing artist, but was for years in, in the sense of like a more physically um, demanding career and, uh, you know, just hours and upon hours on my feet and fat, you know, heels and heavy costumes and all this stuff. And I got to a point where I had finished like a, a long contract and I was like, I, I, I hurt. Like my, my body hurts. I don't want to push, um, myself in this way anymore and, and incorporating some gentler movement, like nothing. I didn't gain a bunch of weight because I was burning like so much less calories Mm -hmm. per day or whatever. I never really tracked that, but you know what I'm saying? Like my ex, my out, uh, my output was not as high, but I allowed myself to just go more into that rest and digest and like the parasympathetic nervous system. And, um, but again, it's like, if you don't know that you can Mm -mm. be in that vicious cycle where you're punishing yourself. Yeah. And it reminds me too, when I was at my heaviest before I was ready, because my weight loss journey was accidental. It was a self-love journey that resulted in weight loss. Um, but I remember I, we have a, I have a close family friend who is like a very renowned, um, Los Angeles nutritionist and she's very old school and she's very strict, Mm -hmm. but I'll never forget, you know, when I was at my heaviest and she was talking to me about different things I could do, you know, when it came to fitness, she was just like, you know, you just need to walk an hour a day. 
Like that was her only advice. And she, again, she's, a, but she is like a great nutritionist, you know, and um, comes from a very holistic place, mm-hmm. but it, I wasn't ready and it wasn't part of my journey, but it stayed with me because I have found when I do slow down and what used to serve me doesn't serve me anymore in fitness, mm-hmm. I feel better and I look better <laughs> when yeah. I am sometimes just walking an hour a day and getting that fresh air and vitamin D and that movement, you know? Um, but yeah, it's just interesting because that always stayed with me. Um, and then of course I've, I've since learned about so much that you're talking about, but yeah, like Ali shared, it isn't intuitive and it's not something you would know. And especially if you are looking at Instagram or the internet, it is a lot of really high intensity Mm -hmm. workouts that people are doing to get those abs and those, you know, Instagram bodies. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's true. And it's so fascinating because I think that everyone has different, you know, enjoyment of activities. And for some people it is weights and some people it is maybe more cardio based. And for some people it's more yoga or whatever it is, but yeah, until we learn how to listen to our bodies and feel what feels good for us, you'll never know. Like I always thought like, well, how come I'm not as motivated to go to the gym as some other people? They're just like, it seems so easy for them. And for me, it seems like such a, I've got to really like push myself to get there. And then I, after it all happened, I'm like, I don't think I'm just a Jimmy kind of person. Like I have, you know, my stuff at home, I like to do yoga and I have a little trampoline to rebound for my lymphatic system. And it's like my movement routine now has been created around like hormones and my lymphatic and just things that I love to do. And it's so nice to be in that place and not feel like the pressure and have to force yourself to like, just go and do this stuff you don't really want to do. Right. And I think it's so, yeah, it's so important for people to know that it's never just because you're not trying hard enough because you have no willpower. There's always different, you know, blocks and pieces of the puzzle that you just don't know about or you don't know how to navigate and it's so innocent. So stop being so hard on yourself. Yeah. I think that's great advice. And, and similar to like the food journey too, when we were saying like food can be addictive, mm-hmm. um, not only habitually addictive, but there's literal addiction. Like you were saying, there's little like sh- uh, refined sugar can be as addictive as cocaine and more mm-hmm. addictive than cocaine, right? It, it hits those pleasure centers in the brain. And a lot of processed food is designed yeah. to do that. Yeah. So we need to culturally start to understand that there are massive, massive systems and, um, and like basically money-making systems, Mm -hmm. right? Like this is like capitalism, you know, it's stacked against you to, to be healthy so that we can, you know, we can feed big, big food feeds, big pharma, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and, a really complex and, um, broken medical system in a lot of ways, at least in the United States. And so, um, yeah, that it's not just, it's not just about your willpower and to understand that and to be gentle with ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, you have now created this incredible business. You help all these women. I'm sure it's, um, you experience some, you know, emotional fatigue when you help other people, um, deal with theirs, right. And their triggers. And, um, as a practitioner, how do you take care of yourself? What does your self-care look like in a day? And what is your non-negotiable for yourself? Hmm. 
Yeah, I love that. And I think this is so, so, so important for everybody. Um, but number one, I have my set hours that I work with my clients and I don't step over those boundaries. I have very strong boundaries between what is work time, what is personal time. I don't do weekends, you know, for work. I always have my evenings. And I find for me, you know, it's important for me first thing in the morning that I'm doing meditation or gratitude or just some form of self-care where I'm connecting with myself, um, you know, and setting up my intentions for the day of, you know, how I want my day to go and that I want to be really grounded and just feel really connected with myself. Um, you know, and I think another thing that's really important for me is to always make sure that I'm like nourishing my body well and that I'm, you know, I always, I don't ever like turn my lunch break into like, well, I'm going to work and eat lunch or, you know, I'm going to do something else. Um, you know, nourishment is very important for me. Um, it's also really important that I, you know, before I work with my clients, I just make sure that I feel grounded. And then anything that comes up with them, you know, when I'm grounded and I, I know I'm, I'm in this journey with them, but that we are separate people, if that makes sense. Like I don't take anything personally if they're having a bad day or if they're, you know, struggling with a block, right? Like I'm, I'm just there to support them. But then I always have this intention of like, um, because I have a very spiritual, you know, connection as well. So I'm always like clearing energy and like, you know, connecting me and them to the light on their, on our own separate connections. And, and I, I'm a huge believer in like, managing my energy and just making sure that like, I'm, you know, tending to that part because it's really, really important for me. Um, and then fun. I mean, right now we're just like having fun at home because that's what's happening right now, but just like getting into nature, you know, getting outside for fresh air, you know, having beautiful connection time with not only myself, but my boyfriend and then like friends and family, that's really important, you know, traveling, um, just, I feel like I'm so much on purpose with my business that it feels like also like a, even though I'm disconnecting from it, like I just always get so excited to infuse myself into it. Um, but yeah, those boundaries are just so important between like disconnecting from business and then having the time for myself and then, you know, to ex expose myself to the things in my personal life. But my self-care routine is like so, so, so important on the weekend. I probably spend like half my Saturday you know, sitting in the infrared sauna and doing meditation and tapping and like just doing such chill things to can, you know, get quiet and, and connect with my intuition and, and connect because I found, especially lately, my connection just feels even stronger. And, and the gratitude that I'm feeling, it's like, I've never felt this deep of gratitude in my life. And it's, it's helping me just feel a deep sense of peace that even though there's a lot going on in the world, that's out of our control. Like I'm just like, I'm feeling really great. Like there's a lot of really good things happening and I want to focus my energy on that. So that piece is also really important. Just that energy management and managing my mindset. Like that's a huge piece of manifestation and health. It's just, yeah. So that's, that's what I do. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing everything that you've shared today. I think you've given us such practical um, tips and tools and just really, I, a lot to think about um, in our own lives as well. Um, so the final question we always ask our guests is, do you have a book that you would recommend to our listeners? Um, it can be in wellness or it can be anything that has inspired you throughout your journey. Mm, yes. And it's the book is You Can Heal Your Life by Louise L. Hay. I love that book. Just the fact that she talks about how your cells listen to your thoughts and your thoughts create reality and that your thoughts and emotions are contributing to your physical suffering 
it just blew me away to first read about that. And I've fully bring brought that into my business and my own personal healing journey, because now the only time I get a physical symptom is after I first experienced an emotional event of some kind. And, and the sooner I shift my emotional health and deal with it, the sooner the physical symptom goes away. So that, and just how she talks about self-love, it's so, so, so powerful. So that, that is a book that I read deep in my food addiction that's still to the stage just like has a special place in my heart. Well, thank you for sharing that. And then um, if anybody wants to find you, work with you, follow you, where can they find you? Yeah. So um, you can find me on my website at amberproof.ca. I have a free emotional eating quiz there. If anyone's just curious to see if they're, you know, experiencing or dealing with that. I also offer a 30 minute complimentary body freedom call to connect with anyone all over the world. We connect online to talk about, you know, your health struggles and goals and, you know, where you're seeking support and what may be, you know, blocking you from moving forward. Um, So it's a great way to first connect. And then from there, we can talk about, you know, if working together, maybe a fit or not. Um, and then I am also on my podcast called the No Sugar Coding Podcast, which you can everywhere on all um, podcast apps. Great. Thank you again for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was honestly so amazing. You two are just beautiful and amazing and so, so, so excited to swap and have you lovely ladies come on my show next. Oh, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch through our website, www.courageouswellnesspodcast.com. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness. Courageous Wellness.